And we can't take our own cultural values and impose them upon the world of the Bible and try to read the Bible in any reasonable way, imposing our own values upon it. We have to read it from within its own cultural context. So we laid all that out by way of introduction, and then we moved into Genesis 1 and 2, the story of creation. And we found in Genesis 1 that the creation story was very different from the creation stories in other surrounding cultures. Other surrounding cultures, the creation story tended to be one of chaos and war and humanity being the cosmic fallout of a tremendous battle. Whereas in Genesis 1, we saw that creation was a very balanced, harmonious act. One act of creation led to the next, which led to the next, which led to the next. And at each act of creation, God said, it is good. And at the final act of creation, day six, the creation of humanity, God stepped back and said of the whole creation, it is very good. And on the seventh day, he rested from all the creating that he had done. And we found in that creation story that we had a God's eye point of view. The name of God in chapter one is Elohim, a big, strong, pl masculine, plural noun. A noun of majesty. And we also saw that that name, that plurality, perhaps suggests the first hint of the triune nature of God, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the point of view is decidedly a God's eye view. Then in chapter 2, from a literary perspective, we turned around, dropped down into day 6, and we witnessed the creation of humanity from man's point of view, from the garden point of view. And we found that the name of God in chapter 2 is Yahweh Elohim. Y-H-W-H. It's an intimate covenant term and an appropriate term to be used by Adam and Eve with God because they are indeed in an intimate covenant relationship with God. And we found at the end of Genesis chapter 2 that God and his two creatures, Adam and Eve, were in love with one another and in a very intimate relationship. When God created woman from the side of the man, and the man woke up and looked at her, he broke into poetry for the first time in the Bible. We read at the very end of chapter 2, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. He looked at her, she looked at him, they simply saw themselves in a loving, intimate relationship together and with God. If only the story could end there. I'm on page 10 of a 2,000-page book. But it would be nice to end there, I suppose. But every story has conflict, every good story has a conflict, and our story has a conflict as well, and that conflict enters in chapter 3 of Genesis, when sin enters the world. So turn to chapter 3 at verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Well, we need to pause there for a moment because we haven't met any serpent up till this point. 
Who is this creature, this serpent, who is the most crafty or subtle or shrewd of all the creatures God had made? And notice, he is a created being. He's not equal to God. He's a created being created by God. Who is this character? Well, we learn definitively who he is at the very end of our story in Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation chapter 20, as the curtain comes down on the story, the great climactic battle of Armageddon is over, the dust has settled. And we read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain.